today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 12, tw- sorry, verses 22 to 40. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Amen. Amen. We've been working through the Lord's Prayer in recent weeks, and we've got to that phrase, Thy kingdom come, this morning. Jesus was in the business of changing lives. Wherever he went, he talked about the kingdom of God. But he didn't just talk about the kingdom. He wasn't just talk and no action. He backed up his words with deeds. He enabled people to experience something of the life-changing power of the coming kingdom of God in the here and now. So where people experienced forgiveness, where people encountered new life, where people were healed of their diseases, where they were delivered or set free, these were all effects of the coming of God's kingdom to them in and through the person of Jesus. There is no doubt at all that Jesus performed miracles. 
Even his opponents couldn't deny this. They had to find other ways of attacking him, and so they accused him of being in league with the devil. That's how he gets away with all this stuff. He's in league with with Satan, with Beelzebub. But Jesus poured scorn on their accusations. What was happening was not a matter of civil war in the kingdom of darkness with Satan casting out Satan. No, Jesus said, you need to read the signs. If I am casting out demons by the finger of God, then you need to recognise that the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what's happening. The reality of God's kingdom is here. So when Jesus spoke to people about the kingdom of God, he healed sick people of their diseases. When he sent the disciples out to carry on his work, he gave them authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he told them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He said that when they entered the town, they should heal the sick people there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God was about putting back together people's lives that have been broken by illness or disease or by ostracism, or by the powers of darkness. Jesus is in the business of restoring people to wholeness through God's kingdom. The idea that the kingdom of God could impact on people's lives here and now was what made Jesus unique. The hope for a future coming of God's kingdom is clearly expressed in the Old Testament, principally in the book of Daniel. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about a statue with a head of gold, a chest made of silver, belly and thighs made of bronze, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay mixed together. No one knew what the dream meant, but Daniel could interpret it for him. It was a prophecy about successive world kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar's own great empire was represented by the head of gold. And the silver and the bronze and the iron and the clay working down towards the statue represent a succession of increasingly inferior world powers. And then in the dream out of nowhere, a rock not cut by any human hand appears and smashes the statue's feet feet of iron and clay and the whole statue disintegrates and collapses and the rock becomes a huge mountain that fills the entire earth. The point of the dream was that successive world empires would come and go, but at the end of time, God's kingdom, represented by that rock, would prevail and fill the world. The same point is made in the dream that Daniel himself had later on. A series of horrific beasts appearing out of the sea to terrorise the world, but at the end of time, God's throne is set in place. There appears before God one like a son of man, who is given authority, glory and sovereign power. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion never ends. He represents the saints of the Most High who will receive God's kingdom and possess it forever. At the end of time, God's kingdom will come. The empires, represented by the statue in the first dream and the beasts in the second dream, are all empires that dominated the world by means of military might. Sheer brute force and terror. Ordinary people suffered under their rule. A mixture of violence, exploitation, oppression and injustice. Power was in the hands of kings who ruled with ruthless cruelty. Democracy? Unheard of. Human rights? Non-existent. These dictators were not benign by any means. When you're in that situation, 
ruled over by oppressive powers, and you are someone who worships God as king, you're going to wonder why the world as it is stands in so much difference from the world as you would expect it to be if an all-loving, all-powerful God was in charge. So the hope developed that one day everything would change. One day God's kingdom would come in power and in glory. Injustice, evil, suffering, pain and death would be history. And life in God's kingdom would be as it should be. With people living in peace and security, in good health and prosperity, in happiness and contentment. That was the hope of the future coming of God's kingdom. And it was the hope that one day God's kingdom would come and that people would share in it that kept their faith alive. As indeed it does today. Because we still believe and hope and trust, don't we, that this world is not as good as it gets but that God has something better in store for us. This is not the ultimate reality. This is not the world as God intended it to be, or the world as God intends it to be. God's kingdom will come. And when that happens, there will no longer be that contradiction between how things are in our experience and how instinctively we know they ought to be if God is real and God is in charge. So we have set before us the real hope that God's kingdom will come when death and mourning and sickness and crying and pain will be no more and God will be all in all. And it's with that hope in our minds that we pray to God the Father as Jesus taught us, your kingdom come. When we see things not as they should be, when we get that sense of dissonance between our believing God and and surely this can't be right in God's sight, our first response is not to protest, but to clasp our hands in prayer and say, God, bring your kingdom. Because the future for earth is bleak. Ecologically, politically, you look at the future, you don't find many people writing rosy scenarios for the future of our world or the future of the human race. The optimism that there was round about the new millennium has evaporated very quickly. Humanly speaking, there is little to look forward to, but God has determined that he will keep faith with this planet and with the human race. And so although we see things going from bad to worse, perhaps, we can put our trust in God, because that is what he said would happen. But there is the promise as well that after it all, God's kingdom will come in its fullness. So this is not all there is. We can hope and pray for something better, and live in expectation that one day God's kingdom will come. Rescues us from despair, rescues us from a sense of pointlessness, gives us a purpose and a hope. But when Jesus came, in some way, shape or form, he brought the kingdom of God with him. Even though Rome was still the mighty world empire, dominating everything by sheer brute force, Jesus came and proclaimed the kingdom of God. And here and now, in the present, people's lives were being transformed. People's sins were being forgiven. The sick were being healed. Relationships were being mended. Hope was revived. Dignity restored. And it's as if in the person of Jesus, 
the future kingdom of God had come so close to people that they could experience his life-changing power in their lives and situations here and now in the present. Jesus himself so embodied the kingdom that those whose lives he touched experienced the kingdom of God through him. And it was as if in Jesus, God's future kingdom had invaded the present and was liberating people here and now. The coming of the kingdom into this world through Jesus has been compared to D-Day in the Second World War. Because everybody recognised that if the Allies were successful in establishing a bridgehead in France, everybody knew that the defeat of Nazi Germany would be the inevitable outcome of that successful invasion. And when the kingdom came in Jesus, that is God establishing a bridgehead of his kingdom in this present world. And because he has come, and because the kingdom of God has come in him, we can be the more assured and confident that the day will come when evil will be no more. God will be undisputed king. Life will be as God intended it to be. Because of Jesus. And because of the kingdom coming to us in him. So we pray for the coming of God's kingdom. And as we pray, we identify ourselves as people of hope. Not people who give up. Not people who are resigned to things just being as they are forever and ever. Not people who shrug our shoulders and say there's nothing that can be done to make a difference. We don't despair about things sliding from bad to worse. No, we believe that the future is God's. The future belongs to God. And because we belong to God, the future is ours as well. So here and now, right now in the present, we live as people who are loyal to God's kingdom. We don't live as people who think that the present is the be-all and end-all. We live as people who belong to something better in the future which is coming and we take our bearings from that future hope. And our loyalty is to the king who's guaranteed the coming in of that kingdom. So wherever we go, we are engaged in the business of sowing seeds of hope and trust and faith in God for the coming of God's kingdom. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a tiny mustard seed the smallest of all the seeds. But when it's fully grown, he said, it turns into a plant big enough for the birds of heaven to shelter in its branches. Or again, he compared the kingdom to a woman hiding a tiny quantity of yeast in a massive batch of dough. But as the yeast works its way through the dough, eventually the whole batch rises as a result of the presence of that tiny quantity of yeast within. The kingdom may be small. It may be hidden. It may seem insignificant. But the impact of the kingdom is out of all proportion to its size. Remember, Jesus spoke these words in the context of a dozen or perhaps a few hundred followers in a tiny, insignificant outpost of the Roman Empire where Rome dominated everything. And yet the truth of his words prevailed because the tiny seeds of the kingdom that he sowed produced a faith that is still vibrant today and has outlasted the Roman Empire by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus knew what he was talking about. 
And we are people still today who are engaged in planting those seeds of God's kingdom and watching them grow in people's lives, in communities, in situations, in countries like Mozambique, where Tim and Rachel Eagle have gone to serve. They are engaged in the work of the kingdom. And where they go, the people they meet, the kingdom of God comes near to the people of Mozambique through them. As the, people of, as the kingdom of God comes near to the people that you will meet in the course of this week. When Jesus sent his disciples out in his name, he said that as they talked to people, as they prayed with people, the kingdom of God would come near to people through them. As people who have the spirit of Jesus living within us, as people who pray the prayer, reign in me, sovereign Lord, reign in me, as we are people who seek to live our lives under his authority in his name, we are kingdom people. As Jesus once said, we shouldn't spend our time looking around wondering when the kingdom is going to come and trying to figure it out in our diaries because the kingdom of God is within you. That's what he said. It's not about wondering which day it's happening, where it's going to come. The kingdom of God is within. We are called to live as people who acknowledge the sovereignty of God over who we are, how we live, what we do and why we do it. We are carriers of the kingdom. We take God's kingdom with us into a world which doesn't know God, but which is all the poorer for turning its back on him. And as in the days of Jesus, in the same way now, the kingdom of God can and does make an impact, a difference in people's lives as they experience something of the presence of Christ and his kingdom in them and near them. Through you, the kingdom of God comes near to other people. So in your place of work, at home, with your friends down the pub or at the gym, it can and should be your prayer, Father, your kingdom come in this place, in these people's lives, in this situation, through me, establish your kingdom here. That means asking yourself, what would be different about this situation? What would be different in this person's life? What would be different about that news item if God were to take charge dynamically and graciously and powerfully and to use that idea of how things ought to be to inspire your praying for that situation? And if it's a situation that touches you personally, asking that God's kingdom might come near through you. How might God taking charge affect business practices in your place of work? How people are treated? How people feel about themselves? The outcome to the stressful situations they encounter? Let's be quite clear, if you're praying for God's kingdom to come, you're praying for him to make a difference. A positive, beneficial impact on people's lives and situations. But it has to start here has to start with me. This is the place where we confess Jesus as Lord. This is the nerve centre of our lives, where if we put God in charge, that affects everything else. So we pray, right here, right now, in me, Lord, let your kingdom come. Reign in me, sovereign Lord. Reign in me. Tomorrow, in my place of work, at home, in the lives of my friends and my family. Father, let your kingdom come. May it make a real difference to them. May your kingdom in my life impact theirs for good. 
And in the news, as you read about Northern Ireland, Iran, Zimbabwe, Syria, Egypt, we need to be praying, Father, let your kingdom come. And as we look to the future, the years and the decades ahead, bleak as they appear, we need to be praying, let your kingdom come. And let that prayer give us hope and expectation that one day this world as we know it will be transformed for the better. For that future and its availability to change us right here, right now. To inspire our praying and our living and our service to God. We are who we are. We live how we live. We say what we say. And we do what we do. Because God's kingdom is within us. And as carriers of God's kingdom into the world, we pray, Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.